Cargrew's kind of mission statement is to give people the power to reach their destination. View that as kind of our overarching goal within the company. Welcome everyone to the Driving Vision Podcast brought to you by the Ziegler Auto Group. And here with me, Auto Group Director of Talent Development, Mike Van Ryan. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Sam. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, like it if you do, and leave a comment. Hey, everybody. Today, we launch a new and regular segment to the Driving Vision podcast. Here, we're diving deep into our automotive world with opinions, some not necessarily reflective of our own. We believe that the people behind and under the wheels we sell and service are just as important as the wheels themselves. Our goal is to bring you insights and opinions from those folks who are driving vision in automotive and who have a front row seat to the latest trends, tech, and innovation in our industry. Join us for these occasional segments as we explore the road ahead and learn from these experts who are leading the way in the ever-evolving world of automotive. Today's episode, we bring you Kevin Roberts, Director of Industry Insights and Analytics with Car Gurus. Kevin will share his industry forecast for 2023, the role of EV today and in the future, and ways in which technology continues to evolve the buying and selling of automobiles. We go now to Kevin Roberts. Welcome to the show today, Kevin Roberts. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Happy to be here. Kevin, you're you're an analyst, you're an industry expert, you're someone who looks at information inside this crazy world that we know to be the automotive industry. Tell us a little, little bit about your background and how you came to be with, with car gurus. Yeah, so I'm from the Detroit area, so not surprisingly have a long history with the automotive industry going back generations. So I feel I've always kind of been in it, but from a, a work point of view, joined in, geez, look, it's 2023, so about 15 plus years ago, got into the professional services side of things and was doing automotive forecasting for about a decade, and then kind of moved into a mobility analyst space. And then just about two years ago, I joined Cargrews as our director of industry analytics. For those in our audience who may not be as familiar with CarGurus, how would you describe CarGurus as a company? What does CarGurus do in the industry? They're an important partner of ours, but, but what do they do yeah. in the industry? Yeah, so I mean, CarGurus is the largest automotive marketplace in the U.S. We are multinational, so we have operations in Canada and the U.K. as well. And, you know, it's really, we have a... So it's interesting. One of the things we often talk about, so our mission statement in the Ziegler Auto Group is our family delivering your family the ultimate automotive experience. We feel that responsibility not only to our customers, but also to our employees, providing all the tools and resources. Car Gurus has that. Many companies do the technology to help deliver that. So thank you to the extent Car Gurus helps us do that. But when we think about the auto industry right now, where are we in this February of 2023. We've had a couple of unique years behind us. How would you characterize in your role and your job, McLean, the, the past couple of years? It's been disruptive, unprecedented. I think you could pull out the thesaurus and pull out any any adjective you could think to really describe. I continue to say, you know, I, we, I got so tired of trying to write new normal and saying we're on the path to it and then being yeah. off because things keep keep getting disrupted on that part. So I, I would say we're still kind of coming out of the COVID haze, but it's taken way longer than anyone anticipated. We've continued to see additional roadblocks along the way that weren't anticipated, but I, I think we're really starting to get on that path now. I think what's really gonna be surprising is that 
it's not going to be an immediate snap to, you know, what I think the industry and consumers were really used to pre-COVID level. And it's going to take us a while to get there. And that kind of destination may look different than what we were used to previously. So one of the mark, one of the, uh, the the markers or one of the benchmarks of success in the auto industry, new cars is the SAR, right? So, and that's the seasonally adjusted rate of sales of new cars in the marketplace. That's important for a consumer looking to buy a car and for us as an auto group to selling a car. I think, you know, 18, 19 was the SAR around 17, 16 million or so units in. Yeah, so new sales were pretty consistently around 17 million for a large part of the of the last decade. You know, as we kind of came out of the Great Recession, we we got into a nice kind of plateau there around 17 million sales, and we've really kind of struggled to get back. So initially, you know, we had COVID hit, and there was concerns about the economy and what was going to happen there, and that was the demand demand decline. Then yeah. we ran into the situation of the inventory supply shortage where you know, we went from, you know, roughly 4 million vehicles on dealer lots across the country pre-COVID down to under a million, which was massively disruptive for the industry. And so we're, we're still building back from that. And obviously within that, we've seen that a lot of kind of different changes go on with regards to, you know, incentive spending and all those types of things. So we're still, we're still in a disruptive phase right now. New production is picking up. We are seeing more vehicles on lots. But again, that's kind of one of the things I, I don't, at least from an industry point of view, and especially if you talk to OEMs, they are not really looking forward to go back to that old way of having that many vehicles on lots. Yeah. And so that that is particularly one of the things that could be quite a bit of change for consumers in the coming years. So, so that could mean to a consumer more of pre-ordering a vehicle, not buying something that's sitting on on the lot. So if 17 million provides a lot of opportunities to buy something off the lot, Toyota in December, I think came out and said something like 15 million. They felt like we may hit in 23 at NADA. I was hearing a number closer in the 13s, which is closer back to coming out of the 08 recession. Do you, do you have an opinion on what it might look like in 23 for the, the, the SAR relative to that 17? Yeah. So we put out a full year kind of look ahead at the end of December and we had a range 14 to 15 million units for 2023 for new vehicles. I would say that's still still what our range would be. I, I will note that January sales just came out and were significantly stronger, particularly on a SAR perspective, than what, what was kind of expected going into it. So definite positive sign there. But it's, it's a couple things consumers are going to find now. One, there are more vehicles coming in lots, but they're going to be a lot more expensive than what they were previously. Automakers are still in a limited chip environment and are prioritizing, you know, some of those more profitable makes, models, which has skewed things a little bit higher. And again, the, you know, the amount of incentives out there has drastically been reduced. I think pre-COVID, the average is around $4,000 for every vehicle. In the U.S., it's down to around $1,000, a little bit more than that right now. And so that's another thing consumers will find if they go out to, you know, buy a new vehicle right now. If you're used to seeing a lot of those, you know, 0% interest rates, subvention on leases, and, you know, maybe cash on hood, that's going to be a little bit more difficult to find in this environment. And if we continue to see, you know, less overall inventory on the new side, that could be something that continues to be a state of the market for consumers going forward. So it's interesting that piece there, the rebates, the incentives have everything to do with how quickly manufacturers produce vehicles and want to push them into a marketplace. That requires some discipline 
What are you seeing out there that shows that that discipline will continue rather than kind of free markets reigning, which is, you know, try to get as big a market share as you possibly can and, and grow that market share? How, how does it not go back to that, Kevin? It's, as you mentioned, it's all about control. And I really think we'll start to see how much willingness there is to deal with some of those negative consequences on the producer side if you want to kind of maintain that level of inventory out there you may need to you know reduce shifts at certain plants and the like which may not be as desirable on that front and you could potentially you know lose market share if you don't have the right vehicles available conversely so it's going to be an interesting there's statements that they don't want to go back to the old ways there's obviously been a lot of kind of pricing power that's moved back which is welcome but it, it will be kind of a challenging test this year and more so i think when you get to 2024 about how much you're really be able to control that mix of supply and you know it is interesting because they have said hey we want to maintain that level of discipline but I also remember echoes of that coming out of the 08 recession as well, right? So there's some similarities. Do you see any similarities there or is, is are the two not? You could basically map up how inventory looked in 08, 09 versus now, and it's going to look pretty similar. I think the, the major question is now, where does the demand side of things sit? So, you know, 12 months ago, my general assumption was that there was way more demand than there was supply. And so we would not see inventory really start to creep back up, at least for a year or two, because there was all that pent up demand in the marketplace. But we've ran into a situation where, I mean, the University of Michigan survey of consumers of vehicle buying conditions was the lowest level it's ever been in August in 2022. Interest rates are headed up, especially with the Federal Reserve putting upward pressure on the Fed funds rate. We've got concerns about the overall macro environment conditions. I think that's really started to pull back on the demand side of things. And so that's why we're seeing some of that supply increase on the inventory side. And I also think there's a focus more towards maybe cost efficient vehicles now for consumers. And they're not seeing that as much in the current mix right now. And so that could be a little bit kind of dissuading there as well. So it's, it's gonna be an interesting balance I, I still think there is some pent-up demand right there. It's just, are we producing the vehicles that consumers want? So we could see some kind of trade-offs. I really think we'll we'll know more about whether we've really kind of changed our from an industry point of view as we get into 2024. And particularly as some of that technology comes back and the ability to produce vehicles comes back, right? Sometimes if you can produce it, you do produce it. That would be a signal that there's a desire to have more uh, more in the market. So, so. You talked about pent-up demand, so market conditions, increased interest rate, higher payments could actually could actually remove that pent-up demand. But eventually, those customers that would have bought, in theory, would still need a vehicle. Do you, do you feel like that pent-up demand will be spread over a, a few years? Or, or how do you deal with that pent-up demand? Coming out of 08, there was strong demand to come back and buy cars once the consumer was able what, what will this look like? It's a major unknown of how much how much the economic environment now is demand destruct or just kind of delaying things out further. It's, it's kind of an interesting calculus right now for consumers because you're seeing more new inventory come out. You're seeing used prices come down, but you're seeing interest rates go up. And those yeah. used prices coming down, which is welcome on the buying side, also means that your trade-in is worth less than what it was 
yes. a number of months ago. And yeah. so it's really kind of creating a challenging calculus for consumers out there. And then, oh wait, we've seen a lot of great new models come into the space as well. We're seeing a lot of great new, you know, SUVs, trucks, there's way more EV, really kind of exciting EVs coming into the marketplace. So it, it's a tough environment. And one thing we, we haven't really talked about, and this is gonna be something that's gonna impact the industry for years to come, is how much leasing we've lost over yeah. the past couple of years. So not those only- Those are the trade-ins, right? Yeah. Those are, those are your younger trade-ins, particularly on yeah. like certified pre-owned. So if you were liking, you know, you know, a vehicle two, three, four years old, light mileage, those can be exceedingly more difficult to find over the next couple of years because one, we have less vehicles sold, and two, the percentage of those vehicles that were leases went down as well. And so again, if we're looking at, you know, potential longer term impacts, that kind of lessening of those off lease vehicles that could come into the marketplace, I think is gonna really be, you know, a potential, you know, roadblock for the industry and, you know, potentially have consumers have difficulty finding the vehicles they're looking for, for years to come on that front. Yeah. Which actually is kind of part of the argument. If you need a vehicle, buy it now, because some of those uncertainties, you know, the used car market, it's tough to know where that will go. Even new cars, depending on whether or not there's a lot of discipline behind production, correct? Yeah, it's, I generally will get asked, like, you know, is it a good time to yes. buy, yes or no? And I always say that's really challenging to answer because it's yeah. highly dependent upon your situation, yeah. what you're looking for, what your timeline is. It's, there's no really good or bad time to buy right now. It's everything's relative. And so, you know, I could say, Yes, it's 100% great time to buy right now. You might be able to find some of those incentives out there on new vehicles right now. Interest rates could be going higher, so you might want to get it now and lock that in. Yes. And while the vehicle values are still higher out there, or you could say if you're looking to buy a used vehicle, maybe you want to wait six, nine months and see if they come down further. But it's it, it's a diff, it's a difficult calculus any way you look at it. And so, you know, I, I would say, is it a good time to buy a vehicle? Yes. Yes. But it really depends upon where, where where you sit on that spectrum. Yeah, well well said from an, an economist. So another interesting <laughs> piece of information in the news, so Elon Musk announced a huge drop in the price of Tesla, which kind of actually surprised me by how much of how much drama there was around that announcement. You know, in the auto industry in the new world, rebates and incentives come and go all the time, pricing changes come and go. Yet, you know, there's this sense that the EV market pricing has kind of been destabilized with the, that one move. What do you, what are your, what's your take on what Tesla did and how that'll impact the? So, as you said, we we've seen incentives cash on hood for a long, long time period within the industry. I, I think what's different with this situation is that it was an MSRP cut, which we generally only see, you know, kind of model year changeovers, yeah. and they tend End not to be that. End of year, they tend not to be that significant. I would say these are rather significant cuts because it was on MSRP versus an incentive. I think consumers, if you were a, a recent Tesla buyer, you probably took it negatively. If you were someone who was looking to buy it, you took it positively. So I, I think that was a little bit challenging out there. With all that in mind, I also think you, you have to keep in mind that the Inflation Reduction Act was passed in August and it does have price caps with regards to certain models if you qualify for that tax credit or not. And I think 
there could have been some kind of interesting moves along that front with, with that in mind on, on that front. You can't, you know, kind of, I, I think that might have been more of a kind of a leading shift there than anything on that front. Yet the ripple in the pond from that one change seems to be some of these other EV companies that focus solely on EV, no ICOs or ICEs may, may, may you know, they're talking about that erasing any profitability they had. Do you think that was part of his strategy or, or probably unfair to hypothesize behind it? It's, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to say strategically what, what was the plan there. I, I, I can say that I do, I know the Inflation Reduction Act MSRP caps are out there, and I can you know suggest that that could be going on that front. But I, I will say overall, we we have seen a, a shift from EV manufacturers. There was a long term, and this is this is for anyone producing EVs. The, the the thought was that the total cost of ownership would continue to drop for EVs overall as the cost per kilowatt hour of these batteries went down. And that we'd eventually reach cost parity with internal combustion engines and eventually there'd be cost, you know, benefits to EVs. And that's when we'd really see EVs start to take off as a percentage of sales. What 2022 showed us is that it's not potentially not going to be as linear as what we had thought. And we saw, you know, massive increases in a lot of the rare earth minerals and metals that go into these EVs which led to price increases in 2022 due to those price costs there. So I think overall for EVs, it's going to be an interesting balancing of the, the demand is there, I think, if the EVs are in the right body type vehicles. But how do we kind of see that total cost of ownership guide path going down? And when are we going to really see that cost parity with internal combustion engines? I think it's going to be really important. And it's interesting, you know, you see even the cost of electricity going up. So you talk about the cost of technology that goes to produce certain element or components going up and creating a challenge on, on cost of ownership. But the itself and maybe even the availability from, from your vantage point, you know, you hear about some of these things that go on in Texas, California, other places where they're like, hey, don't plug your vehicle in. Is that a challenge for the marketplace as a whole or do you think the infrastructure will catch up at some point that, that is a, a very good question i will let someone who's a grid <laughs> expert probably weigh, weigh in more on that side but it, it is going to be a potential hold back there i know i saw stuff of people in california using you know a gas generator to charge their Crazy. ev yeah. which is n- not 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 a great look at that front and anecdotally i i have friends who who've had evs and it, it really seems like if it's a kind of short range vehicle, I, I think it, it's absolutely fantastic. It's that when it gets that longer range, that's when some of those kind of hiccup with regards to infrastructure charging, all those things kind of still get out there. So, you know, if you're a two car, three car household and you have one that's kind of that kind of local driver, I think EVs yeah. are still great for that marketplace. For those longer type family hall type things, I still think there's some kind of challenges out there for EVs. We are seeing a lot of investment in that area, not just on the vehicle side, but on the grid side, chargers, new technology coming in on fast charging. So it's it's something that could potentially be resolved faster than what we're currently anticipating. Well, I won't tell you about my experience when it was just, a, you know, I, I came back, flew back into my hometown, was picked up by a Tesla EV vehicle, and it had, had 15 miles left on the charge. And so as an Uber customer, I was taken to a charging station where everybody had, you know, was in line to get charged. So, you know, I do think some of the infrastructure will be interesting to see how that plays out over time. So thinking about, Kevin, thinking about this year, what would you say are some of the biggest opportunities within the auto industry or trends 
that are emerging. I mean, obviously, availability of new vehicles is a big deal. Supply chip shortages, there's probably some geopolitical things with what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, who knows, maybe even Taiwan. What what do you label as, as some of the largest issues coming into this year? Yeah, so, I mean, it's the economy's number one, right? It's yeah. what, what do we think is going to happen with the economy? Uh, we had a massive jobs report that came out today, the January jobs report, which blew out expectations. I, th- I think the expectations were like for 187 thousand dollar increase four hundred eighty thousand eighty seven thousand job increase and it was like over 500 unemployment mm-hmm. rate is at the lowest it's been since like may 1969 i mean those are some strong strong numbers there All right and if you're if you're on the federal <laughs> reserve probably it's too strong yeah. and so i i would say it, we we continue to be in this really unique market, which is inflation's high, but unemployment's low. In a textbook economic scenario, this doesn't happen. And so we're really trying to figure out how much of this is, you know, kind of still kind of that COVID hangover and how much is this, you know, are we potentially getting back to the normal and how are we going to kind of combat this? If the labor market continues to stay strong, it creates a really unique environment where maybe the Fed can stomp out inflation without causing a recession. And so if that happens, I think that's great and potentially a really kind of bullish market case on that front. But again, if you ask most kind of professional economists at this point, they're still expecting some sort of downturn this year. And where that kind of lands out, I, I think will kind of shake out where a lot of things kind of go on that front. And obviously that, that impacts interest rates and, you know, automotive consumers tend to look at monthly payment versus what they're actually buying from an MSRP point of view, right? Yeah. And so if those interest rates continue to head higher, it's going to put more upward pressure on those monthly payments. And we've seen consumers over a considerable period of time continue to stretch out their loan terms in an effort to keep those monthly payments low, which was great in a low interest rate environment. But we're getting out of that right now. And that could, you know, create some additional, you know, headwinds for, you know, vehicle sales in the industry, particularly on the news. You think manufacturers, are you seeing, we're seeing some manufacturers coming back in with aggressive leasing plans as a way to manage payments. Do you see or anticipate more of that as new car supply comes back? Or how will manufacturers in the auto industry as a whole deal with that payment issue in light of rates? I mean, I, I would like to see more leasing now out in the space. I'm particularly a long-time lessee on that front. And, and I, I think there's a lot of kind of benefits to the industry as well as we are discussing, like the certified pre-owned and off-lease vehicles. So we could see more more on that front. It'll just be an interesting balance of, you know, credit risk and figuring out what, what that kind of looks like. And again, the, the other situation that still needs to work through is a lot of those off-lease vehicles that were coming into the space were so far appreciated beyond what the residual value was calculated at. Those consumers are actually taking those themselves or dealerships are. So get, we still have to kind of get through some of that to get through it. But I, I I would expect we would see more leasing to help get those payments lower. But it's, you know, how many consumers want to um, get into that will be interesting. So it's interesting as used cars appreciated for a period of time, kind of plateaued and decline, you know, declining back to some sort of a norm. There's an anticipated, you know, onslaught of negative equity. What, how are you thinking about that in the space, and how does the auto industry best serve customers, you know, when we think about that negative equity that may happen on the other side as used car prices come back down? 
it's going to be it's going to be a challenging environment out there as we start to see that that kind of downside of the equity. It was really fun on the upswing, right? Um, each customers month, were excited because their trade was worth more than they ever bought it for, right? So yeah, and you would see all these stories of you know my dealership called and offered me X amount, the yes. same amount or X amount above what I bought this car for two years, three years ago, and it was it was all exciting. Now now we're kind of on the downswing on that. And so I, I think that's where, especially if you see some of the, I mentioned the University of Michigan Consumer Survey was saying vehicle buying conditions were the lowest they'd ever been. Pricing is a lot of, and so it's a double-edged sword. It was great on the upswing, but now it's prices are historically high, they're coming down, and that creates, you know, a little bit more of a headwind on that front. Consumers are very aware that, you know, prices are really high and they know that now they're coming down. And so you don't really want to, you know, potentially take on a long-term loan for a vehicle that's going to depreciate above what you're already anticipating. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be a diff, difficult calculus. But again, as, as we were saying earlier, we don't know what interest rates are going to look like. You don't know how far those prices are going to come down. And so, you know, there's still going to be people looking to use vehicles this year because every every situation is different. And it is interesting. Still, if you can get a good deal on a vehicle now, if it is a little bit higher interest rate, there's opportunities to refinance later when those rates come back down. Because isn't it truth that, you know, the U.S. The US economy, the government servicing our debt, we can't afford to have those interest rates long, you know, high for a long term. You know, when I first got into the business in the 80s and 90s, that was kind of the norm. And since 2000, you know, we've not seen an environment like this. What do you what do you predict or foresee in the long term on on interest rates? Is there a reasonable expectation that eventually we, we come back down to, 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 to a very low environment? I mean, I think if you take the Fed at its word right now, we're probably not going to be going back to the zero bound quantitative easing environment that we've gotten pretty accustomed to, which is pretty addictive, to be honest. Yes, it is. Partly cheap money. Cheap money, which is partly yeah. maybe why we have some of the negative situations that we do right now. So if you look at kind of their longer term forecast, they, they expect to get inflation down but i i don't believe they're expecting interest rates go back down to that zero bound so will they remain as high as they are now no most likely but they're not going to go back to that you know zero bound that we got really really accustomed to for a long period of time so there is going to be some kind of adjustment for consumer expectations out there with 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 regards to interest rates and as we start to move towards i I hate saying new normal now, so I'm saying new paradigm or something like that. Like Pick that. out what adjective you want, but get, yeah. when we head to that new paradigm that's out there. So final topic of, of final area of topic. It's interesting to me, you know, during the whole COVID closures, one of the things we expected in our auto group was to see more demand to do conduct transactions 100% online. It's the digital retailing argument that that so many have made. And one of the surprises to us was how hard customers seem to fight to actually still do business with us in person. It seems the technology strategy today, at least for us, is we want to be where the customer is as much as they want us to be either online or in the brick and mortar. It it feels very much like buying a car is a big enough purchase that customers still want that to be a human event. Do you, do you, for, for, from your economic background and, and just looking at the industry, do you have any kind of take or opinion on kind of how that's headed and, and what the future may look over the next few years? 
Yeah. So one of the things we've been kind of seeing from the Cargo's point of view, and this is from, you know, consumer research and the like, we have a wide range of what they're kind of looking for on kind of a digital retail purchase option. And so it's really about kind of providing them the options to meet them where they're comfortable going. You know, if, if you're saying that the digital experience starts with kind of researching online, then I think almost everyone's on, on digital. But as it moves throughout that, that path, maybe some people want to set up that interview online. Maybe some people want to put a deposit down on that vehicle. Maybe some people want to do a hard credit poll before they get in. Maybe someone wants to do the entire operation online. It's really about providing a path for consumers to, you know, if they're driving down the highway of a new car purchase, they can get off wherever they want, or they can kind of stay on. And it's really providing them all those kind of options out there, I think is the most important because certain people are 100% confident on the digital and want everything delivered to their doors, you know, that Amazon Prime experience, and others want completely in-person environment. So it's, what, it's what is where held the consumer back, wants it. What has held back the auto industry, you know, from your perspective, from going full 100% online digital like an Amazon, right? It seems like... You know, it's so easy to order something on Amazon, and and you know, that if you look at the percentages, Cox has come out with some interesting numbers. It's such a it, it, less than a percent of people are actually saying, "Hey, I want to transact this entire thing online." Is it just the size of the purchase? Is it the complexity with all the different options? What what is it from your perspective? Yes, I I think it's all <laughs> the above. I think it's everything all yeah. in one, right? It's it's it's. What's what's the old line? It's the second largest purchase you make yeah. after a house. Yeah. So I, there's a lot of money involved, particularly on the used side. You might want to touch, feel, see, smell the vehicle bef- before you before you make that purchase. Again, it's not just between the retailer and the consumer. There's also Department of Motor Vehicles and titles and transactions involved. So beyond ju- you know, there's third governmental parties involved as well. And yeah. so I think all if we kind of look at all those things combined, kind of a situation where some people want to do it 100% and, you know, can you help them meet them at that point? And then other people want various levels along the way of, of where they'd like to go. That's a great point. Well, Kevin, we absolutely appreciate the time you've spent with us today. It's fascinating to hear this industry. You know, I've been in the car business since the late 80s, early 90s. And it's interesting in this business, it's an incredibly resilient industry. And I always feel like we're saying, hey, this is a time that we've never seen before. And it just seems to, you know, you think about all the little periods that have been unique, the late 90s, the 2000s, the 08s, uh, and and this time frame we're in. Isn't it a truth about the American economy and this industry in particular that times of challenge actually create opportunity. And one of the challenges is finding that opportunity and then running towards it. And it's people like you and the perspective you provide that kind of help that. And I'm sure one of the reasons why Car Gurus has you, has you, has you there. But any comments or any, any feedback on why this has so much opportunity in adversity? What makes this so resilient? I would say a couple things. One, the people are great all the yeah. way down. I mean, I've interacted with everyone, OEMs, suppliers, dealers. I've been on the consumer end. I, I, I think the, the people in it are great across the board. They're passionate. I know, I mean, how, how passionate, especially in the Detroit area is, everyone, is, for, is for the auditory. So that's the first thing I would say. 
Two, it's still a huge part of the economy, either, you know, on its own or kind of, you know, the larger umbrella that's out there. So that kind of revenue pool kind of creates a lot of opportunities out there for the industry as a whole. And, you know, it's, it's resilient from the point of view that I think a lot of people tend to look at it and go, I could fix that. I could change that. And then they really kind of discover how difficult and complicated and layered and nuanced, you know, the, the auto industry is and which which shows you, you know, how good the people are in it, that it just looks like a smooth, smooth operation and how difficult it is. So I, I think all of those things kind of combined kind of give that kind of resiliency and strength to the auto industry and makes it what it is. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you again being with us today, Kevin Roberts, Car Gurus. I appreciate your perspective and thanks for being our first guest on this Meet the Automotive Press. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. A special thanks to Kevin Roberts for contributing to this first edition of Driving Vision's Meet the Automotive Press. Until next week, how are you driving vision today? Today.